This is Susanna McMonagall, and you're listening to Season 3 of the 5 to 8 Shift Podcast for Parents. The 5 to 8 Shift Podcast and community exists to educate, inspire, and encourage parents throughout their parenthood adventure. Here, we talk about all the things impacting parents today, everything from mental health to technology to faith teenagers, toddlers, self-care routines, and so much more. We know parenting is tough work, but family life is worth every ounce of effort. We hope you listen in, share with your favorites, and are reminded that you're not alone. We look forward to cheering you on in your own five to eight shift. It's the most important shift of the day. your host Susanna. Welcome to another episode of the 5 to 8 Shift. I'm so excited that you're here. This is our second episode in our adoptive and foster family series and I am just so thrilled to be bringing this to you guys. As you know or maybe you don't know if you're new, if you're new, hi, welcome. I'm so glad you decided to check us out. Two of my three children are adopted. So I have this, you know, I have Adoption and foster care is very near to my heart. It's something I'm passionate about. I talk about a lot on Instagram. And so I'm excited to bring my interview today with Jamie Finn. So Jamie Finn is from New Jersey. I know I have a lot of Northeast listeners. And she runs a pretty well-known blog called Foster the Family. And in her blog, she talks about all kinds of things, you know, what it's like to be a foster parent, how you can support a foster parent, what it's really like to be part of the foster care network. And so I really like the way that she shares information. She does it in a way that's straightforward, tangible, but also, you know, with compassion. And she really sees this work as gospel work. She's written a book also called Foster the Family, and it's a great book. Shares some of her stories, insights, advice, and and, and realities of being a foster parent and so I just love this conversation so much and so if you want to connect with Jamie or learn more there's a bunch of links in the show notes and the last piece of information I wanted to leave you with which I thought was so cool is Jamie and her organization are leading a retreat so the retreat is going to be in February 2023 Uh, if you go to filledretreat.com f-i-l-l-e-d retreat.com you can get all the information so this is a retreat only for adoptive and foster moms and so no kids allowed there's going to be some fun there's going to be some great speakers worship bible teaching um, practical work Workshops. If you are an adoptive parent or foster parent, um, there's going to be so much goodness. And so this is in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It's going to be at the Marriott downtown, which is a beautiful hotel that I know well. And there's going to be so many great resources. So if you haven't done a conference like this before, if it's something you're thinking about, I definitely want you to check it out, share with your friends who are in the adoptive and foster care community. And if you use Susanna 10, S-U-S-A-N-N-A-H 10, you can get $10 off your registration. And so I want to share that with you guys. It's also in the show notes. If you just, you know, you're driving or cleaning or, you know, out for a walk, uh, definitely keep doing those things and you can click on this information later. But it's a a great little retreat. Actually, not little. It's a great retreat, a great big retreat. You're going to meet some really awesome women at this retreat. And so I wanted to share that with you guys. So I think you're going to love Jamie Finn as much as I do. And she's got some great insight. And so I am just going to drop you into our conversation. Thanks for being here. Hi, 
everybody. Welcome to another episode of the 5 to 8 Shift. This is Susanna, and I'm here with Jamie Finn. I'm excited to have her today. And so we are going to kick this off uh, by doing our rapid fire introduction. So, Jamie, I have five quick questions that I ask okay. my guests to kind of kick us off with a quick intro. Great. So the first one is, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in South Jersey, where I am now. We're okay, right well, over the bridge. From right here. over the bridge. So are you like rooting for the Phillies and the Eagles and all the things right now? Yes. We're big Eagles fans in my house. My husband was born in England, and so he doesn't get baseball. <laughs> so <laughs> we're fine. not a big baseball family, but we are a big Philly family. So Okay. I love it. I love it. And the second question is, where do you live now? But you just answered that. South yep, Jersey? South Jersey. Awesome. Okay. The third question is, what is one of your favorite foods or restaurants? Oh my gosh. So I am a vegan. I've been vegan for 15 years, but I like to call myself a bad vegan, meaning <laughs> that I allow cheat days for certain things. So one of Ooh. the things is seafood and I love sushi. There is a place here. You should drive over the bridge to I it. Will. I know it's rare I to drive sushi. over the bridge for restaurants, but we actually have a pretty good restaurant scene in South Jersey. Yeah. And we have a sushi place with the greatest sushi, so delicious, and it's all you can eat. What? So you sit down and it just keeps coming. So if I have a special date or even a special date with myself, that's where I go. <laughs> I'm going to Sushi Kingdom. Sushi Kingdom. That's okay. What it's called. All right. Well, it seems like an appropriate name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. All right. Noted. Uh, if you could only have one for the next year, would you pick movies or music? Uh, I'm not a big movie person. Music. I love TV shows, but I'm not a big movie person. So my answer is definitely music for that. You know, who has time for all these movies? Well, that's exactly it. I fall asleep within about 15 minutes. Same. I have ADHD. And so the sitting for two hours and being pulled, I'm like, nope, can't do it. I nope. will just fall asleep. Okay. I get it. I'm not far behind you. I'm maybe like 22 minutes. <laughs> that's yeah. it. And then I'm asleep. Right. All right, so you are talking to us today about foster care and foster the family and your organization. Mm -hmm. And so my question is, um, when you first started, you know, dabbling in this kind of work and really lifestyle, um, yeah, sure. was this an aha moment? Like, did you have an aha moment and you're like, I have to do something? Or was this something that was kind of like pecking at your heart over a while? Yeah, my husband and I always talked about adoption in this like maybe one day sort of way, not mm -hmm. even maybe just this one day, one day we'll do it one day. And then we were almost 10 years into marriage. We had our two kids and it was like, we didn't talk about this. We didn't plan about this. And then started to really become more aware of the needs in our backyard on our street. Yeah. And what was at once this we will bring a child from somewhere else to our home became this. We will open our home to someone who needs us for a short time, maybe forever. And eventually evolved into this. We will open our home to a family. And by that, I don't mean that a family comes and lives with us. I just mean that we had a shift from we are bringing a child to us to we are bringing our family to mm. another family. Yeah, I love that. And you know, that kind of is a great segue into my first question here, because, 
you talk about the kids' families. And sure. I love the way you talk about them because I think that is something that is scary to some people who aren't mm -hmm. doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. And so um, it can feel tricky. It can feel very fragile, right? When you, mm -hmm. you know, um, obviously you're being brought in because something is going on, right? And so what have you learned about foster kids' families along the way that maybe you didn't realize or fully understand in the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. You said it can be scary to people and it was scary to me. It was very much, I want to keep family over there. Yes. I want to not have to think about them, to interact with them. They did this terrible thing or didn't do what they should have done. And so I get to finally teach their child what it means to be loved and, and this very othering sort of way of yeah. looking at it. And it's easy to maintain that way of thinking if there isn't relationship, if you're not actually walking with a person and you just are pulling a child into your home and okay, now I'm taking care of this kid. Yeah. Forgetting that there is a family attached, that there is a mom, that that pull is real for your child as well. And so I lived in this sort of ignorance and arrogance for a short time. And yeah. I just am grateful to God that he rescued me out of it because there was no sort of I figured this out. It was a, a reality check that everything that I have is a gift from God, that the loving family and the nurturing and stable childhood, all of it was just a gift from him. And I've come to understand even more broadly that even those who didn't have the childhood that I had and that nurturing, stable childhood, yeah. even them, if there is, if you're a loving parent, it's the same story for you. It's only the grace of God. It is only what do I have that I've not received. And so I began to understand that and it pushed me into leaning into relationship with my my kids' parents. And as I got to know them more as people, as parents, it started to open up some of their story. It started to open up this human connection with them. And it became a lot harder for me to just say, oh, those people who did these bad things and to know, oh, she's a mom just like me yeah. who didn't have so many of the privileges that I've had, who has experienced significant trauma or maybe even foster care herself. And it started to open my eyes to a story which built compassion, which then led me on this journey of searching for where the the compassion can be. It When you have a mindset of people's stories affect yes. their behavior and affect their lifestyles, then you go searching for it and you become someone who is exploring and, and looking with eyes that, that have empathy and compassion. And then that shift just changed everything for me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know if you read this, this, this column, but the Philadelphia Inquirer does once a week they do, it's called the, the, the parent trip. And okay. they interview families 
And usually okay. it's, it's, there's a baby involved. And so when we adopted our second baby, they reached out to us, we're part of it. And so one of the things they asked us is like, what's changed or how are you different? And my response, which is, is I, my empathy went from mm. whatever, I don't know, I don't even know what it was to like next level, like out in the universe, because you just, you think you know things. Yeah. I'll speak for myself. You, you, no, you, no, no, no. It's so true. You know, and you're just like, of course I can understand that. And they made this decision and that's, you know, and I have my own opinions and all the things. And then you start to uncover a couple layers and learn and move with grace and compassion. And you're like, I can't believe yeah. I ever thought that about. Yeah. Somebody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's just, I'm just like, what would the world be like if we all led with empathy? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And it's changed the way that I now think and talk about my kids' workers and yes. everyone involved in the system, just looking that way instead of this, how could you, how would you just, oh, what's the story behind here? What's the human piece here that isn't immediately evident, but that when I search for, it changes my heart towards that person. Yes, yes, you know, and that's, that brings me to my next question, which is about building trust. And you know, so how long have you guys been foster parents? We're going on nine years, we're about to hit nine. Okay, because I think I read in your book, you've had over 20 different, is that right? Yeah, we're close to 30. So okay. it's been like, 27 so you, I think yeah okay so you actually have you have the experience to back up yeah. some of this stuff which is so wonderful yeah, sure. <laughs> and so I wanted to ask you about building trust you know which is kind of um piggybacking on the former question like trust with your birth families trust with children who come into your home like what are some ways that you know, we can begin to do that. And then like, what are some of the fruits of that labor of like building trust and taking time to do that, that you've seen in your own life? Hmm. So uh, let me answer that sort of separately. One being with my kids' parents, I think they're a real way of building trust is to constantly be honoring their role as parent. And there's two ways that we can do this foster care thing. One is you did this thing. I know better. I'm going to do things my way. This is my home, my way. The other is to open up this line of communication to ask questions, to let them know. I mean, I now say to my kids' parents, I am not trying to adopt your child. And I want you to know that when your child is in my home, they will be loved as just one of the kids. There will be no difference. And I will never forget that they are your child. So this, this, there's no difference and there is a difference yes. in, in the way that I think and feel. So I think honoring that role, asking questions like what song do you sing to your child as you put them to bed? how do I cook this meal that she loves? You know, what would you like them to be for Halloween? The questions that we just automatically answer as parents, involving them in, giving them the space to be mom and dad in the ways that they can. I think that's a huge way that we build trust with them. And then with our kids, I would say this, I would say that the first way we can build trust with them is in their brains and bodies, 
even okay. before their feelings and relationships. And what I mean by that is our kids have every reason to believe that they will not be safe in our homes, Yeah, that they may not be fed consistently, that we may not show up to pick them up, that someone who says I'll be back might not be back. And so mm. we have to keep building that felt safety, that trust in their brains and bodies by consistently showing up for them, by having this balance of nurture and structure, yeah. which means like, I'm going to love on you and I'm going to, to provide boundaries for you. And so it means steady meals. It means steady bedtimes. It means doing what you say. And, and it takes a lot of time. We have to know that that trust is never built that simply. And then when yeah. you have kids who come in with every reason to believe that you are not trustworthy, we need to allow a lot of time and space for consistently showing up. And when their brains and bodies feel safe, it opens up the ability for them to talk, to feel, to share and communicate, but we can't start. It's like this, putting the cart before the horse, like yeah. the relational emotional piece where we just need to show up with the brain and body needs first. I really like that. I don't think I've ever really heard it put quite like that because I feel like, you know, if you're doing this kind of work, your heart is really in it. Sure, and sure. What you're saying to me, I don't want to say it like it just, it seems like a, um, you know, like just like a solid place to start. Like you're not going to fix all the things. You're not going to, yeah. you know, be able to uh, change all these things. But that consistency, I think it has to just kind of compound over time, I would think. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it lays the groundwork for sort of the the healing and relationship that we really yeah. want. We, we have to have a, a brain-based sort of approach to relating to kids who trauma has changed their brain. And so yeah. just a simple understanding of the brain is that a lot of the emotional and relational pieces we're looking for are higher levels of thinking. And a lot of our kids have have been put in a place where they have to live in the survival part of their brain. So if the survival part of their brain is not meant to feel safe, not led to know that it's safe, yeah. they don't even have access to the higher levels of thinking and feeling and remembering and planning. So it's meeting those really primal needs in a consistent way that allows us to even build and, and create the space for the other kinds of healing to happen. Now, is this something in, in your opinion, because obviously you're more looped in with all the foster care world, are people talking about this? So we would call this trauma-informed care. It yeah, would okay. it would be really understanding that it's not just that something happened to our kids or didn't happen to them. It's that what happened to them or didn't happen had an effect on how their brain developed, developed, how their brain chemistry is now, how their body responds to stimuli. And when we understand that, then we focus on helping them feel safe 
so that the other messaging, like the emotional and relational, yeah. all of that has a place. But yeah, I would, I would call this trauma-informed care. I mean, one resource that I love for foster and adoptive parents is called The Connected Child. Yeah. It's a book by Dr. Karen Purvis. There's another one called The Connected Parent. And if someone is not a foster and adoptive parent, but wants to better understand trauma or trauma, even in their own story, or every one of us is rubbing up against people and loving people who have experienced really hard things. So uh, one resource there would be what happened to you by Dr. Bruce Perry, or the body keeps the score. So just understanding trauma will change the way that we parent our kids, the way we relate to others, and will give us a view of remembering the brain anytime we're talking about relationships and healing. So important. I love it. I love it. What is one of the common misconceptions you hear uh, when it comes to fostering? I'm sure you get this question all the time. No, let, let me address like the big one. Okay. The big, most commonly said to me would be, I would get too attached. Uh, I said it. I 100% said it. Okay. And so I understand why people say it, but there's a couple things. One is when you say this to a foster parent, you are unintentionally communicating that they would not get too attached, that mm-hmm. either their heart isn't as big as yours, or they have some superhuman power that helps them to do this without getting too attached. And neither of those things are true. The whole point of foster care is to give our children the gift of attachment. Attachment is not just about a relationship. Attachment is the building blocks for understanding the world around you. And without getting too deeply into it, it is the first couple of months of a human life. This is when the ability to trust others, to understand the world around you, to know that life is not chaotic. And this happens through attachment. So I would get to attached basically means I'm afraid that I'm going to get my heart broken. Mm. Where giving our kids the gift of attachment, showing up for them consistently, listening, sharing, meeting their needs in in a structured way. All of this is the whole gift that we get to give our kids. Yeah. And when they leave, they leave with that gift of attachment. They leave with that ability to form other attachments, to have that understanding of the world around them. And when they leave, we are heartbroken. Yeah. We are left with this. I gave this gift of attachment And now I'm left with the loss of losing a child that I deeply loved. So you should get too attached and you should have your heart broken when they leave. So the question really isn't, do I have the capacity to do this without getting too attached? It's how am I going to work through my own grief and sorrow and loss from losing a child that I've loved as my own? And I've walked through that and it is it's painful. It's hard. And it's the point of this. And it's part of the job. Yeah. 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 You know, um, I, I, 
when I, the first season of my podcast, I had Kelly Roddenbush on and they run the Sparrow Fund. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I know, know Kelly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she came on and talked about attachment. And it's just so, it, it's so interesting. It's one of my most downloaded episodes. Yeah. And I'm just. I love to talk about attachment. I, understanding attachment has changed my parenting more than anything. Oh, I believe it. There's so much there. And yeah. I'm thinking about not even foster and adoptive kids. I'm oh. just thinking about there's so much here. And yet people relegate it to this certain realm of what, you know, these kinds of families. And I'm just like, man, this is so good. Right. We all have our own attachment styles that we bring into every relationship. And the more awareness we have of how we do relationships, the more it helps us with our spouse and our boss and everyone to know so like, much. oh, this is how, this is my inclination. And I probably learned this from my parents and from the way my needs were met or the way my feelings were talked about. And now I am playing out the same thing in all my <laughs> yes. relationships. And yes. it's really powerful to understand. Oh, it is. And I feel like people sometimes are scared of what they're going to find. Yeah, and sure. I'm like, but no, it really can help inform so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Not it's really a gift. The more we really understand is. ourselves, the more we know how we are tempted, the more we know how we can be weak. And yes. then there's an opportunity for growth rather than just walking around this way and doing it anyway. Yes. Oh my gosh. And so I just have to tell you this. I'm listening to Brene Brown. She just did like a three podcast so series with the Gottmans. Okay. Um, you know, they're like the love lab people. Yep. And I'm just like, this stuff is so good. Like this, so you good. know, like we should be teaching it like junior year at high school or something. <laughs> like you should just be like, this is how to have a healthy relationship. And this yeah. is, you know, cut why... out how to balance your checkbook and let's just <laughs> do like a series on. Yes. <laughs> Okay, we'll write the curriculum out right. for the states exactly. of Pennsylvania and New Jersey. Right. <laughs> oh, you know, um, when I was reading the first part of your book, you you have this funny story where you're sitting down with some other foster uh, moms in this case, and you're like, you know, kind of asking these each other, like checking in, and these kind of like crazy stories, right. really intense. So, yes, yeah, super intense, and so. I think, I mean, and you probably all already know this stat, but it's like 40% of people think about adopting in the United yeah. States and 2% do. Yep. And I feel like foster care is one of those things that people are like, that's, that's so admirable. And that's sure, so, sure. but like, I think it feels daunting to mm -hmm. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So like in your line of work and advocating for these kids and, and, you know, this gospel work, which you mm -hmm. said, and I was like, oh, it is like, how do you prepare people for the realities and also encourage them, you know, if this is something that's on their heart. Yeah. Yeah, it is daunting. I think that there are two, two ideas I have here. One is that you look at someone like me, who's nine years in 30 kids, it's my whole life. And you think, well, that's the way to do foster care. You're always riding six kids deep. And it's just this life of chaos where I think that we can change the narrative on foster care to be an opportunity to serve the same way that you might opt into a way to serve your church or in your school system or something. It's not, I am now the PTA person. It's like, 
no, I have some space here and this is how I'm going to serve in this season. So I think that we can sort of demystify it from I am a foster parent to I have space in my home. I'm ready to do this work of understanding trauma and supporting families. And for a season, we can open this space and serve in this way. So I think that's one part. The other part, especially for those who, like me, don't do anything halfway and and are going to jump in and are scared. I mean, you just hit it with calling it gospel work. Gospel work means that we're following Jesus in what he came to do. And Jesus didn't just come and feed people. Jesus came and took on a cross. Yeah. And so when we're following him, it's not just in like, let me help people and let me do this good work. It is in taking up our cross and following him. And there is no question about what taking up our cross means. It, it, it's not pretty. It's not easy. It is death. It yeah. is taking on other people's burdens and, and dying to self in following him in this really sacrificial work. So if we have vision for the fact that it's gospel work, that it's eternal work, then we see it as an opportunity to to share in the sufferings of Christ and glory, that we get to be a part of this eternal soul saving work and see it as a privilege. So then we, it puts everything else into perspective a little bit, not life is not just how can I be successful and happy and, and make life as easy as possible. It's how can my days matter for the gospel? How can I follow Jesus into what he came to do, which was restore and rescue and heal how can I be a part of that? And the the peace for me always has to be that we're looking to heaven, that we're looking. It's not just suffering, suffering, suffering. It's right. suffering with the, the view of ultimate joy, ultimate reward and satisfaction. So it's kind of this leaning into like, yeah, it's hard. It's painful. It feels like death sometimes. And that's you're really, you're it. really selling I'm a good it. salesman. <laughs> yeah, you're I am. selling it, Tammy. <laughs> but I think it's important that because it is so hard that we understand yeah. that it's hard and we understand why the hard is worth it yes. because it's about so much more than just our day-to-day ease. And so when we have that view, it's like, oh yeah, this is, is painful and it's worth it. It is, you know, and I was talking, I was talking with my sister about something unrelated to this, but she said, when you start to see your life as, as a, as, as a piece in God's plan, you stop caring about some of the stuff, Mm. like you, you just said comfort and ease, you know, she's Mm. just like, we were talking and she said, you know, I, I used to worry about this and I used to get mad about this. She's like, but when you're like, how can God use me today? How can God use me this week? Yeah. You, you blow off the other stuff and you don't even, you, it's not even a thought. It puts it into perspective for sure. It does. And I just, I have such a heart for kids and I teach, uh, I, I occasionally teach a public speaking class. And one of the assignments is I make them persuade us to care about a nonprofit so Mm. they can pick all the nonprofit, you know, they, and they do everything from saving the trees to saving the dogs to saving the squirrels, you know, and 
um, last time they were really good. And the only, and I said to my husband, I said, the only one that pulled up my heartstring, the only one was uh, somebody did something with uh, neglected kids. And mm. I was like, I'm just, that is the kids, the families, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, hey, you know, I, I might not be ready for foster care. I hope it encourages them that whatever is on their heart, that they mm. start to think about that gospel work in that way. Maybe mm. it's, you know, maybe it's moms or helping in your community or yeah, something sure. completely different. But I feel like when we get that, we get our get out of our own way, kind of. Yeah, it really changes everything. Yeah, I I'm not always the best advocate for <laughs> signing up as a foster parent because I truly believe that not everyone should be a foster parent. And so I, I want to release that pressure right away of, oh, no, I have to do this thing because some yep. of us have a trauma history or or our, our own family things or our capacity capacity within our home. But I think when we change the question to all or nothing, yes. am I going to be a foster parent or am I just going to sit here and know this is happening? And we make it this idea that everyone can do something and that we should be asking, what is my something? And it might be really big picture official. I am going to join a board of a nonprofit and I'm, or it might be I'm going to befriend this mom in my church who is a foster parent and I'm going to bring her coffee once a week. Like whatever it is that we don't just take the stance that we're going to sit back and close our eyes to what we know is going on, but we're going to lean in and yeah. look for a way that in one way or another, we are engaging vulnerable families and kids and loving them with the love of Christ. Yes. And I think that is so important to get rid of the all or nothing because yeah. let's be honest. I mean, you, you probably have a household. You're probably doing something else. A lot of people who foster already have other kids. Like no one's saying you're twiddling your thumbs. Right. And, you know, let's sign up for 60 hours a week of commitment. Right, right. But, um, <laughs> you know, and I think that's another thing I think it scares a lot of people off because they, they're looking at their full plate already and saying, how can I help? I can't be all in because I'm doing mm -hmm. this other thing I'm really passionate about. Mm -hmm. So I think you've debunked that a little bit, which I think is really powerful, so. oh, at thanks. least for a couple listeners. And so you just touched on this, but if I want to support a friend, if I have a neighbor who's doing this work and, or, you know, a girlfriend at church, what are some things I can do? Yeah. to make sure she feels seen and cared for. Yeah, that's good. I have the really unique experience and blessing of the people in my life who are closest to me really all being foster and adoptive parents. And so I know that that is not the experience of most people. And yeah. so they are very much a safe place for me to share, to come and cry. They understand. So that would be a blessing for me. What I would say is the biggest piece that you can bring to someone that you know and love is to, to tell them that you believe that they are on mission and that part of your mission is going to be to support them in their mission. Because mm. I think what is hardest is for foster parents to ask for help. We can very much think, I signed up for this. I need to be able to manage all of this. Yeah. But when someone says, this is actually part of 
my mission. This is part of how I'm going to engage in this. I need you to tell me how I can help you. And then to come with practical ways that you can help. So not just if you ever need anything, call me, but to say things like, on Tuesdays, I go to the grocery store. I want you to send me a grocery list each Tuesday. Or I take my kids to the park every Thursday. Can I pick up your kids and bring them with me? That you're offering the corners of your life. Because none of us, like you just said, none of us are twiddling our thumbs. For some of us, it's going to be small bits of margin. And offering that to people as a... Uh, I want to be a part of this with you and here's how I can do it. I think that makes all the difference in them feeling safe to ask you and in them knowing exactly what you can do. Yeah, you know, I dabble in some writing things and I I, I wrote a couple things about showing up small. And mm. I think about as as moms who are like juggling a lot and seeing other friends who are juggling a lot, it's always like if I can't do the big gesture, then I'm just, you know, I'm just going to yeah. like if I can't really help yeah, I, sure. You know, how am I being valuable? And I really challenge that idea in that, like, I mean, I'm like a coffee all day, every day. Me too. You know, <laughs> I'll try all the brands. I always try new places. I always am checking out the coffee. And I'm like, you have no, like, I had a girlfriend just send me like a $10 email coffee mm. gift card. And I was like, mm. that, that like completely altered the course of my week and so you know sweet. 10 bucks you know and right at other people and i think what you said which i want to reiterate is like not like let me know if i can help or how yeah. can i help yeah you know hopefully you're in enough that you like you said i go on tuesdays give send me five things just let right. me get this for you right um I have a neighbor and we kind of like, you know, like I'll take her two kids for an hour. She takes two of mine for an hour. Yeah. You know, I'm like, please go to your doctor's appointment without four of your children. Like, just bring them over. Right. And we've gotten right. in this. But if great you asked little... her sort of vaguely, let me know if you need help this week. Exactly. The chances of her reaching out for that help are slim to none. I think it can be <laughs> for any parent. We just feel like I have to do this, but especially when as a foster parent, you're the one signing up. You think, well, yes. I didn't sign up these people. And so I need to figure this out. But that offering is is such a huge piece. Yeah. And I've just, you know, I've just been thinking about friendships recently and I just, I want to be better. And I think part of that is we don't ask for help, right? I don't, I'm not very good at asking mm. for help. I mean, I'll be right. the first one, you know, but then someone's like, Hey, can do you, you know, yes, please. Like right, how right, long, right. you know, what time, all the right. things, right? Sure. Uh, this is also great, Jamie. Um, as we sort of wrap up here, what's one thing you want to leave uh, today to encourage foster parents? Hmm. I would love to remind foster parents that they may not ever see on earth the effects of what they're doing. Yeah. I, one of my favorite verses is, you know, what we see is temporary. The unseen is eternal and foster care is inherently temporary. It is, yeah. you know, we get temporary because we are fully in this parenting role, all of the the joys and hard parts, and then in a moment sometimes, you are just not mom to that child any longer. And you may never hear how they're doing. You may never hear what your impact was. 
they may never even be able to articulate if you are in relationship with them, relationship with them, how you made an impact. But there is an impact. And part of the beauty of me being in this work is that I get to spend so much time with adult former foster youth and adoptees and to hear them articulate the impact of their foster parents to see the fruit that has um, really come about because of their foster and adoptive parents' um, efforts and love is really beautiful. But even if I didn't have that, there is this understanding again of the brain, understanding again of this eternal piece of what we're doing, that whether you are rocking a baby and feeding them consistently for the first two weeks of their life, or you have a teenager who you show up for and show unconditional love to, and they run away, whatever the story is, there are so many reasons to think, why did I just do that? Did I make any impact? I loved on this mom and she rejected me. So many reasons to see what is temporary and see the scene as the only, the only real thing, but what is unseen is eternal. And what is most real is what is the parts that we can't see. So remember to not just look at what is seen, but to look at what is unseen. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautifully stated. And I'm just like picturing, you know, these these old couples on their rockers who, you know, get bits and pieces and updates mm-hmm. of kids they've been able to connect with and build relationship with over the years. And like, I hope that, you know, I hope they look back and even the things they don't see, yeah. they feel convicted that what they've done is important and powerful yeah. and change people's lives. Yeah. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Jamie. This has been just such a great conversation. I wanted to close having you share how people can connect with you and what do you have upcoming and like, what are some things if people are like, oh, I've got to, you know, learn more. Sure. So Foster the Family is the name of all the things. So you can find me on uh, social media at Foster the Family blog. My book, is a book for foster parents. Um, It can also be for anyone who's considering becoming a foster parent or loves someone who's a foster parent. And that's called Foster the Family. And then I know we're close to each other. Locally, my organization is Foster the Family. So if someone wants to get involved with serving uh, children in foster care and, and the families who are caring for them, they can look into Foster the Family. Okay, awesome. This is also great. I think you've uh, hopefully scared less people and encouraged more people. (laughs) It's my mission to do a little bit of both. Okay, well, I think you are succeeding. Thanks. All right, Jamie, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your insight. I know you got a lot going on, and I just really appreciate your time. Oh, it was so great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening in today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Be sure to share with us on Instagram what you liked most about the episode by tagging me at Susanna.McMonagle. And lastly, if you want more information about the 5 to 8 shift, you can check out our website, the5to8shift.com. We'll see you guys next time.